0: It's me, Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950, talking to you from the bunker in Prairie, Minnesota. How are you? How are you? We are a month past the summer solstice, and I can tell it because it's getting darker earlier. Ugh. Oh, Oh man. Oh, I, I hate, just hate that. I hate it. Okay, but what I do love is this week's show. You're going to really, really enjoy the big interview. I'll be speaking with a writer, James Finn. He's also an idealist who penned a piece that will give you all the hope that you can possibly muster because we're in a time of hopelessness and he's written a wonderful piece, a wonderful real story to offer hope. And in my C block, I'll talk about a day I spent with a small child advocacy nonprofit in Duluth this week, but... But, 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 but. Let us begin with this week's featured idealist, Cornel West, a philosopher, an academician, and now turned third party presidential candidate. To begin, Cornel West is 70 years old. He grew up in California where his parents were, his mother was a school teacher and then principal, and then his father was a contractor who worked extensively with the federal government. Cornel West's mother was apparently so regarded that an elementary school um, was named in her honor. How do, you, how do you, What do you think about that? Uh, in high school, uh, West was the class president. And uh, he was very uh, politically active. I mean, he marched in civil rights protests and demanded that his school district offer black studies courses. Um, he graduated um, at age 17, and in 1970 he went across the country and enrolled at Harvard College Three years later again I mean he's very obviously very smart, very uh, motivated he graduated Magna cum laude um, from Harvard College in near um, Eastern languages and civilization so if you're gonna if you're gonna do philosophy that's the place where you begin. And from there, he went to Princeton, where he received a PhD in philosophy. And after that, he began teaching at various institutions, including Harvard University. Um, I can't remember all the names, oh, and Princeton and all that. Okay. West describes himself as a non Marxist socialist, as well as a radical Democrat suspicious of all forms of authority. That's a quote there. And run ins with authority have been one of Cornell West's hallmarks. For example, in 2002, he famously left Harvard, where he was teaching, after a dispute with then-Harvard University President Lawrence Summers. You may recall that Lawrence Summers was a prior Treasury Secretary under Bill Clinton. That dispute culminated in West calling Lawrence Summers, quote, the Ariel Sharon (laughs) of higher education, unquote. After that, West left Harvard to teach at Princeton and other East Coast universities, and again in 2021, after returning to Harvard, West became a lightning rod over his objection to Israel's treatment of the Palestinians. He went public about this when Harvard refused to grant him tenure. I mean, this only happened uh, two years ago. And this time in 2021, um, Cornell West left Harvard for good. Now, in many ways, Cornell West is a character unlike few others. He fashions himself as a modern-day W.E. Du Bois, du Bois, and he wears his hair and beard as Du Bois did. He also wears the same kind of dark three-piece suits and ties like Du Bois did. West also has been married multiple times. Uh, he's now on, get ready for it, wife number five. Okay, so <laughs> he is a bit of a character. And as idealists are apt to do, He's not afraid to criticize power or talk to it. Thus, while initially supporting President Obama in 2008, by the middle of Obama's presidency, Cornell West had become an ardent critic, viewing Obama as a tool of Wall Street bankers. In the 2016 and 2020 elections, Cornell West supported Bernie Sanders. Then, when Sanders lost his nomination to President Joe, West threw his support to Jill Stein and her Green Party. Thank God that didn't go uh, the wrong way. Now, some of you might be asking, why am I highlighting Cornell West as this week's featured idealist? You may want, why, Ellie? Why? Well, I'll tell you why. In early June, Cornell West announced that he was running for president in the 2024 election as a third-party candidate, seeking the Green Party nomination. Uh, he supports Medicare for All, Good stuff. Public housing, action on climate change, and drastic cuts to the military budget. I mean, some of this is ultra liberal, but some of it is, you know, pretty mainstream. Okay, and this week, okay, what got me to focus on Cornell West? I listened to West and watched um, at length while he was interviewed on CNN by none other than Anderson Cooper, with whom Cornell West is friends in the past. Anderson has had Cornell West on his show to comment about politics and the state of America, race relations. So they were friends. It was somewhat of a friendly, it was a friendly interview. Um, Cornel West kept referring to Anderson as brother. (laughs) Okay. But Cooper, you know, Anderson was trying to pin him down about stuff. And in this interview, Anderson peppered Cornel West over the risk of a third party candidate peeling away enough votes from Joe Biden, to tilt the election in Donald Trump's favor. That's assuming Donald Trump is the party's nominee and assuming President Joe is still around to be the Democrat Party nominee. And that, don't worry. Don't read anything to what I just said, OK? All right. Um, and during this interview with Anderson, uh, Cornell West at first claimed that, that uh, he'd attract by his third party candidacy attract only disaffected voters who otherwise wouldn't vote. And thus, he wouldn't be taking away votes from President Joe. But but Anderson Cooper, God love that man. Oh, and by the way, I do so love that man. He wouldn't let uh, Cornel West get away with that, in part because there is absolutely no polling data of any kind to prove that third-party candidates attract people who wouldn't otherwise vote. In the end, Cornel West refused to concede that he or any other third-party candidate might end up giving the country to Donald Trump. It was a scary thought. Also, um, and so, all right, hold on, Ellie. Read the show notes because that would be helpful. And so let me close this A block by noting that sometimes idealism can be anything but pragmatic. As West candidacy, driven by good intent, I'd say so, no doubt, um, as his candidacy proves, idealism may end up doing the opposite of what idealists intend, which is about creating positive change in the world. Pay attention to this third party third party candidate stuff, whether it's Cornell West or this nascent no labels party I don't know if you've been paying attention, but there's word that Joe Manchin, the one and only may uh, may run and for a third-party uh, candidate um, nomination. The whole idea of whether our democracy survives or not could hinge on even a half percentage point of votes that a third-party candidate might attract scares the heck out of me, and it should scare the heck out of you. I am positive that the 2024 results, assuming it's President Joe against Donald Trump, I am positive, it's going to come down to less than one percentage point one way or the I am positive of that. And if we have a third party candidate peeling away 1%, 1.5% of the vote from President Joe, it could be the the, the end of our democracy. Okay, Ellie, don't sound, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to sound alarmist, okay, because it very well could be. So, even though Cornel West is way, way off the scale, he represents a real present danger to our democracy. Now, I'm all for people getting in the fray, okay? But not this time. Not when it's going to be so close. Not when the stakes are so incredibly high, because we all know how it will go. If Donald Trump gets elected, who knows whether this show would even be able to be on the air. I know that sounds really alarmist, but uh, not based on some of the things that Donald Trump has been saying. So there you go. Cornell West. Learn more about him. All you have to do is Google Cornell West. And it's one L, okay, Cornell West. And learn more about him. But more importantly, as I said, pay attention to what's going on with third-party candidates. It's not the last time you're going to hear me talk about it. Okay. All right. That's all we got for the in A Block. In when I come back, we're going to talk to author James Finn. You're going to love hearing his interview. You're going to love him as a human. And uh, if you like what you hear on this show, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at Krug at gmail. We'll be back in a sec. Ellie 2.0 radio. So, uh, keep track of Cornel West. As I said, idealism awry in this third party stuff. I, uh, don't. All right. Well, on a whole, whole, entirely different note, I am thrilled to have on the line with me uh, writer, James Finn. James, are you there?
1: I am here. Thank you so much for
0: inviting me. Uh, welcome to LA 2.0 Radio. Uh, listeners, James Finn, um, by his exa- his uh, short biography, here is that he's an LGBTQ columnist, a former Air Force intelligence analyst, an alumnus of ACT UP New York, which is an organization I've talked about on this show before, and an agent, but an, an, an agented but unpublished novelist. You are also. The curator of this, do I have this right, this is an online publication, Prism and Pen, and uh, you've got like 20,000 followers on Medium, which is a, which is a writers-based uh, online organization that hosts all kinds of writers in all kinds of genres. Do I have all of that right? Wow, you have it just exactly correct, yes. (laughs) Well, James, I am thrilled to have you here, and you've been so incredibly kind to have responded to an email that I sent you because, listeners, on Sunday, because I am a medium is a, you can get some medium pieces without being a member, but because I support the writing community, I'm a member, and I saw this members-only piece titled My Neighbors Ended Free Childhood Healthcare over anti trans hatred, a piece that showed up on July 10th on Medium and and penned by you, James Finn. And I reached out yeah. to you, I emailed you, I said, Hey, would you be on my show? And my God, you were so kind to email me back like right away. So thank you for doing that.
1: Well, I was thrilled. And I have to tell you that some of my fellow editors at, at, at Prison and Penn are pretty excited too.
0: Ah, well, that,
1: that, that, that I would be talking to you, apparently. Um,
0: your reputation precedes you. <laughs> well, well that, okay. All right. You just made my day. All right. So, all right. So this article, and I'm, I'm going to just say a little bit and then i I want you to start talking <laughs> since it's your interview. Okay. okay. But this yep. article generally is about something that happened near Grant, Michigan with their school district involving a free healthcare clinic that was set up, in the middle school for for this school district. Do I have that right?
1: That's correct. Can I just, you want me to just kick in now? Kick
0: and, in. Yep, and, uh, that, that was the next thing I wanted you to do. Go ahead. Okay, so look, so so this
1: is, this is western Michigan, the northern portion of western Michigan. It's rural. It's isolated. It's fairly poor. People around here don't have a lot of money. I, I, I wrote the article after I had a conversation with my next-door neighbor, who is a single mother with four children, multiple jobs, and struggles often, you know, to make rent and buy food for her four kids. It's tough. Things like routine medical care, wellness checks and vaccinations and all that good stuff, those are luxuries for a lot of people out here, including for my neighbor. And she gets most of her routine child care at her kid's school. Not the school we're talking about, but it's a very similar setup pretty routine around here Nonprofit agencies health care centers etc set up in schools just one of the nice things that neighbors do for one another out here is helping arrange healthcare. well about a year ago starting a little a little uh less than a year ago in grant michigan which is very near here uh one of those healthcare care clinics which operates in a middle school so so you know we're talking we're talking um fifth, sixth, and seventh graders, tweens, um, th- they asked a high school student to, to please come and paint a, a beautiful mural on the wall. And she did. Evelyn Gonzalez, is her name. Uh, and she painted a really bright, cheerful, primary colored sort of mur- uh, mural with happy kids. And she included lots of diversity. Uh, people of different races. But J- also she included James
0: um, James, let me interrupt you real yeah. quick. Just listeners, if you're if you're following or you want to go find the on the, the Facebook version of this show, you'll be able to see this mural that James is gonna talk about, is talking about. Sorry, James, I just want to make sure listeners knew that they could access what Absolutely. the mural looked like. Okay, go ahead.
1: Yep, so it's just a cheerful, happy mural and she made some besides just being ethnically inclusive, she included a couple little portions. Uh, she included some transgender colors and some bisexual flag colors. And she also doodled a so-called Hamza hand, which in the near East has been for a couple of thousands of years, sort of a symbol of good luck, divine protection, etc. not particularly a religious symbol. It's used by both Jews and Muslims in that, in the near East. Um, and boy, people in Grant, a few people in Grant, some some Christian parents got really mad. They got mad about the LGBT colors and they got mad about the uh calling it uh, satanic, which, you know, it, it, it's not. But but they stormed a school board meeting and all hell broke loose and, and things got pretty ugly. And in order to, to sort of, I, I guess, placate certain parents or throw a bone the, the clinic said, OK, we'll paint over the hand because it wasn't in the original sketch that that, that Evelyn provided to us. And and that was unfortunate. But it, it seemed things quieted down until this coming spring, this past spring, rather, when the school board started maneuvering to cancel the contract of the health clinic. And, and they did it. I mean, they voted to, to kick the clinic out of the school.
0: And it was only and, a, a $5,000 contract, right?
1: That's right. I mean, all the funding for the clinic is coming from wherever it's coming from, the federal government, the state government, charitable organizations, et cetera. It's costing the school district nothing but $5,000 a year in rent, security, or insurance, rather, security, et, et cetera. It's a trivial expense for the school district. Um and these board members were pretty clear about why they were canceling it. They they were they were talking about you know stopping the 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 LGBT menace, the Satanism, etc. It was pretty ugly, and I was really upset when I when I read about it. I mean, I, you're kidding me. I mean, we're gonna take this. I mean, let's face it. There aren't any queer people around here. We leave. We don't stay in this part of Michigan. It's not like they're actually fighting something that's happening, you know? Um, it's all just made up. And, and they're going to cancel an entire healthcare program for 11-, for 12-, and 13-year-olds over this figment of a culture war. And uh, it was sad. It was awful. I talked to my neighbor about it. She thought it was awful, and she's conservative. And, uh, and, and she told me at the time, I mean, if they did that at my school, I'd be up in arms. You know, I need this. I don't, I don't care about whatever else. We need this health care. And lo and behold, <laughs> the good citizens of Grant uh, did that. I mean, they stood up and they said, no, what are you doing? they uh, uh the the town is the town only has about a thousand people in it, less than a thousand people, one hundred residents of Grant stood up Amos in front of one of the board members' businesses, a restaurant and said, "Hey, no, 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 you got you're not acting sensibly, you're not taking the the interests of the community and to heart here doing the job. We want you to resign. We, we want you to step down so that." so that somebody can lead the school district who actually has the interest of families and
0: children. James, can I just read an excerpt from your piece uh, where, where yeah. you talk about this? So yeah. in your piece, you write this. Organizer Megan Wirtz put it like this, quote, I hope that this will show the school board members that the majority of the community does not want them to make decisions for our school anymore. We want them to be removed. We would like new school board members in place that have the best interests of our students in mind, because it's quite obvious that these four board members do not. And you go on to write, let me tell you something about small towns around here. People are not activists. They don't protest. They don't make waves. It's not the culture, not the done thing. If slightly over 10% of an entire town shows up to protest anything, it's a very big deal. Also, people around here are fle- reflexively conservative. If they show up to support something that smells even vaguely liberal, something very important is happening. Okay, go on with your story because yeah, we got yeah. more here. And if you can, you. And if you can speak uh, directly, more directly in the phone, that would be really great. Thanks.
1: Doing the best I can. I have a throat mic. How's the sound now?
0: Okay, thanks. Okay, so um,
1: so what's amazing to me is that it worked. These people stood up. They made some demands. They said, hey, we need you to take care of our children, and, and, and you're not doing that right now. And the board backed down almost immediately. Um, they have uh, they've retreated. They've gone back into negotiation with the health care clinic. And also, this is something that has happened since you and I spoke last, Um, one of the people leading the protest, uh, it was a person who spoke about the ability not to drive, it so happens that she's in a wheelchair herself. And they elected her, the board elected her as a trustee, which is an administrative position. So. Wow. Just just, just a few days ago. So so this is, uh, the board is, the board got the message loud and clear. Uh, I don't think they're going to step down, Right. But, but I think they're afraid they're going to lose their jobs at the next election, and and uh, and so this is this seems to be over. It well, looks to be the, the they'll probably renew the contract with the clinic, or if they don't renew the contract with that clinic, they'll they'll contract with somebody else doing the, you know to do the same thing.
0: And it has so, the has the mural been painted over?
1: No. No, the only portion of the mural that was ever painted over was the Hamza hand.
0: Okay. And that's the hand that people have seen this, and and I frankly didn't know the name of it, but it's the hand that has the eye in the palm of the hand with the fingers, you know, five fingers uh, uh, upright, right? That's right. Yeah.
1: That's right. It's not a symbol that I, I, I think many North Americans would recognize. It's not popular over here. But but in the Near East, it, it's fairly common. It's not taken as a particularly religious symbol. It's neither Jewish nor Muslim. But but it's known and 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 used and understood by by Jewish, Muslim, and Near East Christian
0: people as well. Well, all right. So let's step back from the story. Tell me what you're thinking. What do you think that I mean? You've got we've got a small town. Oh, and these. The four, if you said it, uh, I just want to reinforce it, that the four board members at issue were the conservative block, you know, who are anti-LGBTQ. They wanted to come in and, you know, we, we, we know those blocks have been running for school boards across the country, including the school board that I'm on uh, right now. Um, what, what, what's your takeaway from this? Is it just about when it's self-interest that those who are conservative, they're not going to put up with it. Do you, th- I mean, I could, I could maybe see that, but they didn't paint over the mural. The mural is right. still there. This
1: is a very, this is a very complicated layered story. It, it, it's not simple to, to try to understand what's going on. Yes, there was certainly a, an amount of self-interest, but, but there was some community interest happening too. I mean, You know, a lot of these people in Grant, the people who live right in Grant, they don't have so much trouble getting health care for their kids. They don't live out in the country. They're not the family sending their kids into Grant on school buses. Um, So so there was some empathy going on. There was some, hey, we need to look out to the entire community, Mm -hmm. not just those of us who live right here in town where we have a doctor. So... So that's one layer. Another layer is that there's some weird political stuff happening in Michigan, just like there is all around the country. I mean, there are crazy rumors going around about students using litter boxes in classrooms. (laughs) There are untrue rumors. There are culture wars going on about books and libraries. Grant is very nearby. Uh, Just a short, short drive from that town that infamously defunded its own library because librarians refused to get rid of books like genderqueer and, um, my goodness. Um, sorry, I'm just having a senior moment. They refused to get rid of, uh, they refused to get rid of LGBT books for kids. They did put them in the adult section of the library, but. But the town wasn't okay with that, and they've defunded the library. They won't pay any more taxes for it, and it's probably going to go out of business. Uh, as much as a public institution can be said to go out of business.
0: But but in Grant, but something what, something different happened.
1: In Grant, something different happened. And and the people stood up and said, oh, come on. Enough. Enough. This is a phantom war. This, is, this isn't real. And and I think that that's really important for this part of Michigan. And it could be really important for other parts of the country because political leaders really are trying to leverage uh, the culture wars for power when they don't have anything else. Right. The Republican Party in Michigan right now doesn't have anything to offer poor Michiganders. They don't have any plans. They don't have any policies. They did not do anything that's going like, to make life better out for us here in the country. And and so instead they're they're inflaming passion with this phantom stuff. And at least the people in Grant stood up and said, No, 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 stop it. And and so as much as I recognize that a lot of that was self interest, I can't help but be encouraged to
0: You know, oh. I mean we're I mean um I mean, of course, when it comes in the broader scale, I mean, look at what happened in Kansas, you know, a conservative state, but, you know, the state as a whole voted down, you know, uh, an amendment to the Constitution to ban abortion, okay? You know, but that's a social issue that that they were, you know, Republicans were campaigning on. And maybe, maybe, I, I just hope that what's happened in Grant I hope that, and as you, you know, intimate with your piece that maybe people are getting smarter and, so. and, and, and realizing they're you know, n- nobody's doing their business anymore because they want to rail on poor trans kids and, yeah. and spend the energy of passing laws and ordinance, all that stuff against, you know, minorities that, that aren't harming anybody, you know, yeah. um, Okay. I'd like to think that we're
1: looking at a backlash for the backlash. Um, you know, there's been this horrible anti LGBTQ backlash going on for the last couple of years It started sort of counterintuitively after Trump lost, elect- lost his election. And I thought things were going to start getting better, and instead they started getting worse.
0: Way worse. Yeah. Oh, for Way sure. Worse.
1: Way worse. Yeah. And I-, I think we might be at an inflection point right now. I think we might be looking at people saying, Oh, come on. This is this is too much. This is over the top.
0: Well and, innocent people are getting hurt. And and James, so you know, your piece goes out. Have you heard from any readers who are like, hey, let me tell you about a similar story where I do. I hear from
1: readers been, about that sort of thing all the time.
0: Where there's been a backlash to the backlash. Stories.
1: Yeah, I mean I've written talk about backlash to the backlash. Not far from Grant is a little resort community called Grant Haven. Um, very few people live there, but lots of people vacation there. And uh, they had, after the political struggle, they had a great big pride fest this year, and it was it was such an overwhelming success that the organizers were were, were shocked. More than ten mm. times the predicted number of people poured into the Pride Festival from all over Western Michigan.
0: Ah, uh, well, and, and, and let this me. Was, uh, this let
1: was me, after the town tried to deny them permission to
0: hold it. Well, let me interrupt you, okay? Because I'm looking at my producer, Brett. Just last Saturday, last last weekend, we had on the show the uh, owner of a small uh, children's boutique. Um, not far from the station in but in a red to purple county where she had mm-hmm. a you know she had a drag you know performer come in and read to kids a couple of books and right. you know the proud boys showed up to uh, that oh, event God. okay but but and i w- i helped uh inv- i was involved with helping it get off the ground um but uh James we had somewhere between three and four hundred people who came oh my goodness and and they you know, many of them didn't have kids. <laughs> they just came to, to voice their right. support, you know, in right. this, you know, in this, t- I, I, what I've been saying at least about this event, it's called Little Ruse, the name of the boutique, is that it changed the narrative for that community as it related to LGBTQ that's stuff. So that's I, l- fantastic. I love your phrase, the backlash to the backlash. I do. And, and your story yeah. about, you know, the, the, uh, the resort and doing the pride event. Um, you-
1: yeah. It's, it's, I just was looking up the details here because I, I didn't remember them all, but uh, the organizers planned for 500 people and 5,000. Oh my God. <laughs> 5,000 swamped the town and, and there was no negativity. It was a brilliant day. It was a beautiful day. Everybody was loving and supportive and it, it was so contrary to the narrative. That that, that that people just left energized and enthused and, and, and full of hope.
0: Oh my god. Well you just blew me away with that. I mean, and of course the small businesses, you know, near the resort were like thrilled for all the business, right? I mean You know,
1: I, I put a little bit of that into my story. I talked about how I, I talked to a few people who went and they said that when they got there early in the morning they wanted breakfast and there were lines at the at, at, at restaurants. Down that went as far as two blocks for people trying to get in and get breakfast. So, so you know that business owners were thrilled. You know
0: yeah. they were. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know we're coming to a close here, but I wanted to ask you because I always ask all of my, uh, all of my guests. Okay, because you and I talked about this to prep for the show about being an idealist. Yeah. James. You know, you, some of your story about you know you were in New York, the height of the AIDS epidemic, working with ACT UP, working with HIV patients, what what was it that made you an idealist? Because you clearly are from all of your writing.
1: Those experiences in New York City were, were formative. Um, I had been in the U.S. Air Force and in the closet, and I had been sheltered from, from the HIV AIDS crisis. And when I arrived in Manhattan, I fell in love with the man who became my, my partner. He introduced me around to his entire circle of friends. Uh, years later, um, going to our address book, I realized that oh, well over 40% of our friends, his friends, but, but mine later, died. <laughs> We lined those entries out of our address book. I can still see it. It's this little blue, sky blue, faux leather, kind of, kind of, kind of dirty on the outside from being handled so much. But so with our address book, and flipping through it, forty percent of the names lined out. It's my job, my day job, was was teaching job was teaching employment skills to women and men living with HIV and AIDS, and they were all really really not well. I mean, I'm talking about the days when AIDS was a, virtually a death yep, yep. Nobody had any hope. And and we had to fight anyway. We had to keep going anyway. Because if we didn't do that, the only thing we could do was lie down and die. <laughs> and and then, lo and behold, in 1996, here it is, the, the triple cocktail HIV treatment that that, that, that Peter Staley and, and Larry Kramer and everybody was insisting was possible. And it was possible. And and we helped make it happen. And that kind of, how can you not be fundamentally changed by living through an experience like that? The Lazarus Effect. People got up, out of their deathbeds and lived again because of the work we did when we thought there was no hope. So, well, so that, that did it.
0: <laughs> well, listen, uh, James Finn, it has been an honor, uh, to talk with you. And I am just so incredibly happy that you're in this world. I just want you to know that and that you're, and, and, that you're, and you, well, thank you. But that and that your voice is being heard. And I, I, you know, I will follow you. I hope that this is not the last time that we talk, okay? And I just look forward to what else you... And, oh, and, and listeners, beautiful writer. He is an incredibly beautiful writer. Well worth your time. James Finn, F-I-N-N. You can find him on Medium, but James, where else can they find you?
1: Look for Prism in Penn. That's Prism and pen with an ampersand in the middle instead of an and that's the publication uh that i help edit uh we amplify the voices of the gorgeous voices of gorgeous queer people (laughs) who have a lot of important things to say and please by all means look up prism and pen you'll see me in there but you'll see some really other awesome writers sharing their personal perspectives and they're not all, they're not all old fart plug
0: names. Okay. Well that's Prism P R I S M the ampersand for Anne and uh, Penn, pen P E N James Finn. That's right. Thanks for being on Ellie 2.0 radio. I have been just thrilled to have you here and uh, just keep up the good work. Okay. My friend.
1: Thank
0: you. And you too, Ellie. Okay. Thanks. All right, listeners, we've been speaking to James Finn about his wonderful writing. Go check it out. Go check out the piece that's titled My Neighbors Ended Free Childhood Healthcare Over Anti Trans Hatred that came out on July 10th in Medium. And when we come back, we'll talk, uh, my C block, about my work as an idealist. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug on AM 950. back. Le 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950. James Finn. Oh, what a lovely human. And and I meant, I mean, his writing is flawless. It is wonderful, wonderful writing. Oh my God, I wish I could write that well. I I really do. So anyway, check him out. Okay, C Block. I got uh, less than uh, five minutes to uh, talk to you (laughs) about how I'm an idealist and what I'm doing. So this week, on Monday, well, on Sunday, I went up to Duluth, um, and uh, I took my bike with me. Oh, my God. I got on the bike. I rode along the along the lake, um, went up uh, about eight miles uh, north, and then turned around and came back, rode around Canal Park and all of that stuff, and it was, oh, my gosh, beautiful, beautiful Sunday. I got to do that. I got to ride my bike in Duluth, which is was one of my goals this year, and so I got that done. The next day, I trained a small nonprofit. The name of the nonprofit is First Witness Child Advocacy. And it is an organization that investigates horrific child abuse, instances of child abuse, works in tandem with the police department and um, with the court system, the county attorney's office. And then in other instances, acts as advocate for children who caught up in the system like foster care or um, in other instances where ch- children need advocates. It's a small nonprofit, less than 15 people, and I spent an entire day with them, uh, talking, doing a gray area thinking, and then doing allyship uh, 101, and then doing a talking circle, which is a directed conversation. I've got to tell you, I don't know if I've ever met a more hope-inspiring group of young humans, because mainly this was all women. There's only like one male-identifying human out of the group. Mainly all younger women, I would guess, the vast majority of the women are uh, younger than 35, and many of them were still in their 20s. The executive director, Tracy, was older, and what it was so clear about the way that She had created this team and the cohesion and the love that each of these team members had for each other in what is a very, very, very tough business, okay? Can you imagine hearing the stories about children being abused? Can you imagine that? And so, um, and the reason I'm telling you about this group, First Witness, child advocacy in Duluth is twofold. One is, you know, when December comes up, okay, it's a nonprofit, get them on your list, will you? To send it more, better yet, send them a check now because they're nonprofit. They can take every donation in the world, okay? But secondly, the reason I'm telling you about this is that this so, my experience with them reminded me why I do this work. It helped lift my spirits in a time that's been—it's been a tough year in a variety of ways. But it helped. I drove back. I mean, I drove at, at one point. I I did tear up with them, okay, as they were tearing up in a good way. Um, and I drove back buoyed by the experience. I did. They inspired me. These young people, they inspired me, this older person, to keep going because if they can do the work they're doing, I can do the work that I'm doing. It's all about making the world a better place. It is, and boy, for them, directly helping humans, innocent humans in need. I I don't know if I could think of a better, higher calling than what they do. So, just throwing that out there, First Witness Child Advocacy in Duluth, get to know them, okay? And you, my listeners, I've got to wrap it up. I mean, a big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson, who's had to do a little math today. And a big thanks to you, all of you. Now, remember, between now and when you hear my voice next, next week we got a, we got another writer on tap to, to, to be, uh, and somebody who's written about Ellie Krug for, where do you go, there you go. But between now and when you hear my voice next, will you do me a favor? Will you go out? Do something. Something little, even to make the world better, will you? Be kind to someone, be compassionate, be kind to you, because it's important. We all ripple to each other. Ellie and Krug, Ellie Krug, over and out. Thanks.